0: Many of us have heard the expression live in the present moment. Despite us all hearing this, many of us choose to live in the past. We beat ourselves up over it or we remain focused on the future and our anxiety starts to creep in as we worry about what is to come. But we forget that the only thing that's in the reality is the present moment that we're living. My next guest is working on living in the present moment. He has had storied different careers. He's well-educated and quite honestly, he's one of the most brilliant people that I know. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America out loud network. (music) Welcome, Bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As promised this week, we are only focused on the concept of gratitude and Thanksgiving because it is Thanksgiving week, and for many, it's kicking off the holiday season. I wanted to get us in the spirit, not be concerned about whatever is going on, the news, the political headlines. Now, we could talk about that a little bit, but it has to be in relationship to gratitude and thankfulness so today i brought together a very special guest for everybody now this is somebody that i am thankful for with gratitude that they came into my life this individual i met in college uh, during my freshman year Uh, he is a pennsylvania native who has traveled all over the United States, uh, has spent some time in Brooklyn, New York, uh, as well as now in San Francisco, California, where he joins us today. And so we're going to learn a little bit about John Gerberich in just a few moments. Uh, but to understand his journey, uh, when we were 18 years old, uh, John and I, when we met in college, we played music together. Uh, we, uh, a bunch of different uh, skits together in classes maybe we can talk about that a little bit today john as well as uh we kind of followed each other down our paths in life until i ended up getting married and john uh, at a later age became a priest in the roman catholic church uh and now he finds himself out in california not in parish life but teaching at a high school so this is going to be a fascinating, fun conversation. He also has ties to a Dorothy Day Catholic Worker farm, and we're going to get into all of it. So, John, welcome to America Emboldened.
1: Great to be here with you, Greg. Been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So, uh, John, you you have a a lot to be thankful for in your life because you have led this life where uh, you've you've tried so many things that many of us would be envious of the freedom uh, that your life has found in your search for what it means to be content in life. Uh, And tell me if I'm miscategorizing that in any way, shape or form.
1: Well, I think that's a great way to maybe uh, look at it. I mean, a lot of people maybe look at my life as being a little scattered and confusing and, they would almost make the argument that I would never be content with anything, which is why I just seem to be keep on roaming around. But, you know, I have to say, every time I keep on looking back at where I've been, it's just nothing but gratitude. I mean, uh, it's been a very storied life, as you know, uh, it's had its ups and downs, and they have been profound downs at times. Um, but through it all, I just have been constantly amazed that the more I'm able to let myself just enter into the great mystery of of life and all its complexities that you're always given what you need when you need it, and sometimes when you least expect it.
0: And you have been. I mean, I think about, I know some of the downs that you've had in your life uh, pretty well. I was there for some of those in your life or shortly after some of those as well, uh, John, you've always managed to bounce back, and I'm I'm kind of uh, I want to get into today maybe a little bit about faith in people's life and gratitude. Um, one of the things I love about John for my listeners, he is a priest, so if you wanted to call him Father John, you could. To me, he's John Grivich; he's my friend that I've known for many years. Uh, and the other thing I love about John is he's not so caught up in making sure that somebody were to refer to him as father, John, he doesn't live by those titles. Is that pretty accurate of you? That's
1: uh, very accurate. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So you're kind of like the common guy, but uh, in the same thing is what I always loved and respected about you, John is the fact that we can uh, question faith together and it's never about like pontificating or anything else. And I mean, you you have your uh, degree in theology through your ordain and, Urduani and everything else, but uh, you approach it from a very practical level. What I guess I want to get to is, how does this attitude of just being thankful help you find the grace to not argue with people, you know, nonstop, and just be appreciative of the human experience to find, as you call, uh, the Christ in another person?
1: Yeah, I, I think that first off, it, it's a work in progress. I, I can't say that. Oh, I'm just kind of non argumentative or I I don't criticize others, or at least I don't think about criticizing others. I mean, there's still a lot to be, you know, sorted out in that way. But I will say, uh, one of the graces that I have found in my life, and this has happened through many different ways, is that, you know, you can never limit a person to what you see. You know, there's so much more going on with a person, and the thing that you you don't know is you just don't know their story. You don't know why they're acting the way they are, why they're operating from a place of insecurity or however you wanna kind of name it. And it's just kind of taught me a a major lesson that to reduce a person to what I see in that moment is not just simply to not be understanding of the person, but in many ways, uh, it may prevent me to be uh, converted by this person. And what I mean by that is that um, this person may be a means for me to grow deeper in awareness of who I am uh, and also of what I am uh, about and what I'm meant to do so to speak and how I can become a better person. I I just don't think that there's a person that I've met that will not somehow uh, push me to become more Of who i am or a better version of myself and and i've just grown to accept that and it makes life a heck of a lot easier to live too by the way
0: do you believe that there are evil people in the world or just people get misguided at some point in time
1: well you know i think that people do evil things that are inexcusable and, and there's no way around it i think that there's things that don't have silver linings I think there's atrocities in this world that just can never be looked upon and saying, well, you know, something good will come out of it. I, I do think, though, that our world is not limited by those moments. I think that there's a vastness to what the world offers, so to speak, that uh, where what is good and true and beautiful ends up prevailing at the end of the day. So, you know, as even in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the weeds and the wheat. Uh, they have to grow together, that they can't be separated before the right time, because otherwise you just destroy everything. I think, in some ways, you have to look at life that in a similar way that there are things that are inexcusable, that are evil, uh, but all life is not defined by those particular moments. Um, so that that's that's one way to kind of enter into this type of discussion. There's more to it. Sure. I, I can never I can never justify or give a reason as to why you know, bad things happen to good people and and why evil exists because those things do exist and they're horrible. so so uh, that
0: leads me to a kind of a difficult question for this conversation then mm-hmm. in those dark moments, which you kind of alluded to earlier, uh, or when pressed with evil moments in our life or things that just take us to the brink of, depression or just feeling, how is one, uh, from your understanding, or how have you been able to find gratitude for even the darkness? Is that something that's possible?
1: I think in every moment, uh, when there is something that is so dark, uh, there is some crack that lets the light in, you know, Leonard Cohen said it really well. And I, and I do see that just, I give you a perfect example, uh, mutual friends of ours, Paul Marzen, Um, and his wife uh, just dealing with a really difficult situation with their six-year-old son. Uh, And he's at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, CHOP. And you know, when you walk into a place like that, I mean, you can't think about like, wow, this is just, there's no excuse to seeing a child suffer. You can't in any way, shape, or form wrap your head around that. You can't give any type of rationale as to why that could happen uh, how innocent a child is and how they could be suffering so profoundly uh so if there's anything that's wrong with the world i mean that that to me would be the most sure sign of like wow there there's just something really off in our whole cosmos that this can be allowed to happen so to speak but you know when you think about just that very institution that exists the hospital and you see the care of those doctors and nurses and everyone else that that is brought into the equation to make, you know, the experience for these families not just bearable but in some sense uh, even delightful. Uh, I mean, it just shows that you know, this type of evil, if you will, this type of injustice, does not have the final word. And uh, is that necessary in order to bring out the goodness in others? Well, I don't think it's necessary, but it sure has heck does bring out the good in others. And uh, if, if we could ever just live our lives in, in that sense where, you know, I can always bring out my best self, uh, regardless of there being a bad situation that I'm always on, so to speak. I mean, these moments of, of uh, trial, I think, uh, remind us that that's how we ought to live our life.
0: You know, I just you know as you were saying that I didn't even think about um Jude the dude right uh, yep. so we talk about the Marson family yeah uh, my listeners if you want to help spread a little bit light to a family um the Marson family as you heard John say their 6 year old uh, is dealing with a brain tumor um and I know when John sent me the story. I don't know. You sent it to me maybe like two months ago, John, month and a half ago. Yeah, uh, it completely ruined my morning because I'm looking at this little six-year-old and I'm picturing my own son, um, and uh, you know that's just <laughs> really a, a brutal sight to see. But we can spread some light to families, and so you don't have to, to take my word to go do this today. But I do know that there's a GoFundMe. And it's Jude dash, the dude, it's a dash in between the, and on both sides. So Jude dash, the dash dude. And if my listeners would like to help shine a little bit of light, this Thanksgiving to the Mars and family, uh, feel free to do so, uh, your donation, you know, is appreciated or, you know, let's talk about John. The, uh, you, you were involved in a, a, Dorothy, uh, day Catholic worker farm. Yes. Uh, why is it important to give? you know, not, not just, you know, don't worry about the Mars and family, as far as like a specific giving, if you're my listener, why is it important that we just find giving hearts? What could you offer for that, John? What have you seen?
1: Well, you know, so many times that we can get caught up in thinking, well, where's my gift really going? What's it really doing? How's it really helping? And I think that giving remedies, this need to want to be in control. I think that we all just struggle with in our lives that we just don't, aren't in control of enough things, you know? And uh, it's almost seemed to be, we've cultivated a, a, a virtue in our culture of the more you're in control or more, the more you're put together, uh, you know, the more irrespectable that you are. But I think that giving is the remedy to uh, the futility of, uh, of being in control because you're not in control. You know, nothing is in your control. Uh, the very fact that you're, you're alive, you had nothing to do with. And, you know, you're not ca- consciously thinking about breathing. It's something that's happening to you really without anything that you are voluntarily doing. Uh, there, there's something far greater happening in our lives. Uh, and, and just think about this, the horrible pandemic world that we've lived in and all the other stuff that seems to be happening. And we watch our news and we're just like, oh my gosh, all this stuff going on. And you just feel powerless. Uh, and yet you still try to fight it and you try to figure out how can I be in control? And I think that, you know, we try to be in control with, with how we set ourselves financially. And thinking that if I have enough money, that means I could live a certain type of lifestyle, and I'll be able to provide for myself and my children. And there's nothing necessarily immoral about any of that. I mean there's there's nothing there's something I, I guess you would say responsible to 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 kind of equate all that all that type of activity with. but but at the end of the day, um you know, all of this is somehow gift. All of this we don't really deserve. I mean, even if that we think that we've earned things, I mean, just think about the countless amount of people who were brought into our lives, who gave us so many opportunities to do things. Uh, so it, when, we, when we're giving, it's just simply an action of saying, guess what, I'm not in control and that's okay. Uh, and how you want to give, I, I don't think it really matters. I mean, whatever. Maybe there's a certain type of inspiration or some type of situation that's presented to you and that propels you to want to, to give. But I think the more you can give, and without even knowing, like say where where your money's going, uh, the more you're able to detach yourself from the need to be in control. Which I just think is paralyzing because we're always just kind of caught up in thinking, well, what's the right move to make here, and what should I do here, and what should I do that because looking for safety, looking for security, looking to make sure that, you know, nothing goes wrong. I mean, that's a very taxing way to live your life. And I think giving is a remedy for it.
0: That's kind of what the world tells us right now, though. The the world tells us it's all about us, right? We live in a Mm -hmm. a, a me society, uh, a microwave generation for the Mm -hmm. past 20 some years of I want this and I want it now. uh, And I've, Talk to my students in my classroom, my students have said, you know what, Mr. Bolden, things aren't right since the pandemic, like the world isn't as nice since the pandemic. And I think that it kind of went into that whole philosophy of, you know, everybody thinks it's about them because f- for the first time people were forced to look at their own mortality, mm-hmm. they were forced to, to think about the fact that they may not be here in the future, that they do not have control that ultimately things can change at any moment. And there's great thanksgiving and gratitude to be found in understanding that this whole experience of life is so much larger than any one of us. And it can be gone tomorrow. It can be gone in an instant. And so many of us stay in this tunnel where we're not able to appreciate that. Um, you know, in you and I, we've had the, the great opportunity to get involved in retreats and, and helping young people in many different ways. For me, I, I built homes with Habitat for Humanity during my summers, uh, bringing down teenagers. So that way they could get the experience of building a home for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I know that you too have been involved with high school students and helping to run work camps and do other things. Tell me about an experience that was profound for you, where you saw other people get that giving spirit that realized the world's bigger than they are. And it's good to, to be in the spirit.
1: You mean like an experience that happened to me or do I, that I saw other, other people involved.
0: Either or it could be an experience that that you have in your life that just gave you great gratitude or something you witnessed other people receive that really showed that that was an action.
1: Well, I, I, you know, I think when I think of my early days, even before I met you. So like when I was in high school, I was just completely captivated by working in Kensington and Philadelphia and working with the Franciscans at a place called the St. Francis Inn. And that just completely opened my eyes to how, so to speak, how the other half lives, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this whole other way uh, that people live their lives that was only like a few miles away from where I lived. It was night and day. And the amount of poverty I saw on the streets and the prostitution, and the drug deals, and the mental illness, uh, but yet the profound sense of faith that people had. I mean, they, they really believed that God loved them. It wasn't just that they believed in God. They actually believed in God's love. I don't know if I could say that to myself. Like, I don't know if I really understood what God's love was all about. I know it's something that you talk about, but I don't know if I really experienced it. But here they are, you know, on the street experiencing it. And I think the only reason why— they were able to experience this because everything that they got that was somehow a consolation, meaning whether it was just a sandwich or just a smile, that was proof to them that somehow they were still loved because they were so attentive to that. Now, does that mean that they were perfect in their appreciation? No. In fact, Dorothy Day, who I looked up to uh, so much, I mean, she she very pithily said that, you know, there's two things you have to know about the poor, is that they, that they smell and that they're terribly ungrateful. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's truth to that. I mean, you can't romanticize, you know, helping uh, people who don't have certain types of things that other people have. You can't romanticize poverty or homelessness or drug addiction or anything like that. But it did just come to me that, well, you know, even in the midst of this, you get these glimpses of something that you don't have and you think you have everything. And also I remember too, I mean, me and my very judgmental self, you know, whatever I was 15 years old, 15, 16 years old, you know, thinking like, I just don't understand how we can just constantly keep on giving food to people who are just going to go out and just shoot up or, or, you know, uh, or steal or or whatever it is, you know, in, in this very judgmental way of looking at it. You know, and I remember this one Franciscan he says, well okay, that that may be true, but that doesn't mean that the person uh, a person who is hungry should not have food you know like that, that's that, that's not an equal equation you know that that's not how that's not how it works and you know and that's very true like if I'm going to live what I think is the gospel, I don't think punishment is the way that I should be ultimately conducting myself, uh, by being like, well, since you're messing up your life, you can't have something that's absolutely required for you to live like food. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it, it, just, it puts things in perspective. So I, I know that those moments, uh, early on in my life, uh, they stuck with me in a very profound way. And I think I, I always come back to them. Even when I, when I start feeling a little bit too comfortable, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta feel that poverty somehow i got to do my own type of poverty check like what can i do and you know once again work in progress i'm not i'm not saying i got this mastered but i know that i'm that we're all interly connected and i feel a special type of connection with um with the poor because i i I just don't really see myself as being any better than anyone on the street i i and i'm not saying that in some type of whatever self-righteous way or something i it I just, once right, you start I seeing, that's,
0: that's a great self-realization that, you know? you know, we're all in this exact same human experience, identical. Mm-hmm. We're all the same skeletons underneath the skin, Yeah, but the classist system of life that we try to put to give somebody some type of moral uh, authority over somebody else or uh, a financial authority or a political authority. Uh, That's all washed away when we really uh, see ourselves in the experience. Let's talk more about the experience uh, in just a moment. We got to get a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. You guys are listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden and my special guest, John Gribrich here on the America out loud network. Be right back.
2: Now the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Uh, We invite you, friends, to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called CoFix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered to reduce your chance of getting hurt. You wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. CoFix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com.
0: Welcome back, Bold Americans. We're talking with John Gribwich about the importance of having the attitude of gratitude. And uh, John, just before the break, you were talking about uh, how you really can identify yourself in the poor because you don't see yourself as um, being greater. And that's really uh, where we find ourselves in a lot of life right now. We have people that I believe do find that they feel that they are better in some way, shape, or form, because they're more financially sound. And as a result, maybe they worked harder and that other people should work harder for things as well. And we really have a classist system on earth. You know, I'm not even going to say in America, it's a classist system on earth. And we also turn a blind eye to a lot of other people's struggles. Mm -hmm. One of the things I'm fascinated about with you is you're kind of like the, the priest that would love to just go to the bar and meet the broken, <laughs> meet broken people and get to know their stories. Uh, why? Why do you love broken people's stories so much?
1: Uh, the simple answer is because I just know that I'm broken. I mean, it's just more and more revealed to me that, you know, the I find I'm in more in solidarity with people through our wounds than I am through my accomplishments, if, if you would not even call them that. I mean... Because, uh, you know, it's it's simple. I mean, Christ himself, uh, he gave a model of, of how to live. I mean, it's more than a model. I mean, because he, he, it was the very means for us to enter into his love. And that model was simply like, you know, go to the poor. I mean, become poor. You know, he didn't own anything, right? I mean, he just relied on the generosity of, of everyone in, around him. I mean, I, I think we kind of forget that. I mean, he had nowhere to lay his head, you know, as, as the scripture says. You know, and, and he becomes poor on the cross. He comes. Uh, who has the worst in our society? Are people on, on death row right now? Right? I mean, like, you know, those in prisons. I mean, he's he becomes a prisoner, uh, renounces all his sense of autonomy and of needing to be of, of being control of anything. I mean, this if this is the gospel i mean then where else would i go than to be in in solidarity with people's uh, helplessness with their wounds and i forget who said it but it was very you know very i think insightful when someone said that the the person who's going to church and the person who's going to the bar are looking for the exact same thing you know and and i do think that there are people who are finding more solace in bars than in churches these days unfortunately <laughs> And so if I want to be with, uh, you know, the sheep, because I actually feel like I am one of them uh, with the clueless sheep, uh, it, it seems to me that you're going to find more people that, like that in bars than sometimes in our churches, you know, and this is no indictment against people in our church, of course. It's just simply saying that, you know, there, there's, there's not as if we somehow have it all together because we're showing up for mass or for, for church service. Uh, that the person who's trying to sort out life is doing that most likely at a bar, <laughs> right?
0: So, here's the conundrum I think when you when you have these type of conversations, and you know where I'm probably going to go with this when it comes to mm-hmm. you know faith, mm-hmm. the the broken that do not have belief in God, the broken that don't believe in the story of Christ, the the atheist, the lost. Um, you know how are they to find the same type of comfort and solace in one another um or in some ways are they already finding that because of where they find themselves so you're much better than i am at finding no judgment um how do you have those conversations of of what it means to be broken to somebody like that when they don't believe that there is some type of Redemptive afterlife for a greater good.
1: Well, I don't know if even if I really feel as if I, you know, understand my brokenness in light of say redemption and uh, and heaven. Let's say I, I don't know. If, I mean, maybe I I kind of think of it in that way, but I kind of look at it like you know, here I am in this world with these people at this moment in time, you know how do i want to live my life so i can live it the best with all these people i mean like one of the things that causes us the most stress is is just the hurt that that is um that that's brought on by other people and having to live with other people so it doesn't seem to me to me be so much caught up in like well i want to live a life in a certain way so i can get to heaven or i realize that you know god loves me and and he's going to redeem me and then i'll be able to have eternal life I think it's more like, you know, in the here and now, if I'm in this world and I didn't place myself here, uh, how am I gonna, is, is it possible to find joy in the here and now? And I think that's ultimately what everyone, I think everyone's, you know, looking for that. I mean, if you're not looking for that, then uh, you're a prime candidate to, I guess, you know, jump off the golden gate at that point, right? I mean, but the very fact that you still get up in the morning, uh, there's some glimmer of hope that somehow this day might bring something in your life that may make it easier to live. There might be some type of ray of joy. So I think people who are, especially if you're talking about going, people who are going to bars, I I think that just the very fact they're with other people, I think they're trying to navigate how to live in this world. Not so much caught up in like thinking about if there's an X world or what that might mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes when we talk about addicts, and the this- Research that's out there, uh, it's becoming more and more apparent now that mental illness, uh, depression, anxiety is one of the reasons why people become addicts in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so this philosophy that you just stated really kind of struck with me as I was kind of juxtaposing the two of the fact that individuals just want to find joy uh, that at the end of the day. And so for some people, that joy may be at the bottom of a bottle. Um, that's where they're able to find that solace based upon whatever their demons are that they've been dealing with, and uh, you know, who am I to judge how somebody finds their joy?
1: Yeah, but I, I guess I would interject here is that you know, ultimately, we're we're searching for a um a sustaining joy. We're we're not looking Correct. for for like hits. You know, I mean, it's understandable why an addict is an addict because they they want that high to continue, right? And, and in some ways, their body now needs it, right? So, like that. You know to have to be relying on a substance or whether it's you know booze or or drugs, that's not necessarily the answer. You can't say that well, that's their joy and I'm happy that they're having it. I mean, they're looking for a sustained joy, but then again right. that's that's what I'm looking for too in my right. life you know so
0: so so going with that philosophy we're, <clears throat> we're going right into the spot where I was hoping to go with. Mm-hmm don't you feel that the same people that go to the bars, the same people that are searching for this are the same people that are arguing over politics in our country are arguing over the main issues that they're trying to find some type of justification for their platform, for their their personal fortitude in conversations. I guess one of the, one of the things I'm trying to kind of grasp is what is that shared experience if we're looking for joy, why are we fighting over things that we cannot control, such as most of the politics type of stuff? And how do we help each other heal and just be better at the human experience and be gr- grateful for the fact that we're here on this earth together?
1: Well, I, I, you know, this is that's a really great question. And it, we can talk a lot about it. I think at the end of the day, I mean, the reason why we have such polarization and people who are fighting so hard is that I think – that they're trying to protect some type of ground that they're on and they're trying their best uh, to make sure that their joy is not taken away by someone else. So they feel as if somehow their very livelihood and their very happiness is threatened by someone else. So like you, you just double down on whatever you can do to protect your assets and i'm not just talking about your financial assets but i think that's part of it as well that you know you're trying to protect your stake in the ground and and because of that i mean it it makes you extremely um resentful of people who in your estimation are trying to take away your rights for joy and happiness as you define them as you understand them Um, you know because at the end of the day, I mean, selfishness does reign, right? I mean, th- this is the great vice. And uh, and the one thing that we don't have in our ethos uh, as a nation or as a society is the, the idea of sacrifice, right? So, I mean, and it's, on, it's on both sides of the spectrum. I mean, it, it's the whole idea that, well, if I have to give the, this away, someone's gonna take more away from me. And so therefore i can't give up anything i can't i have to hold and double down on everything um so you know i I think every single issue comes down to the, the the very question of am i willing to sacrifice something uh for the greater good of the whole um i i don't know if we understand what the greater good is though so that's where it gets even more confusing for lots of people but you know, I've come to to just believe that goodness and truth, beauty, these things do prevail. And I don't think that we have to be so over-concerned with how we are controlling the dynamics in society in order to make sure that those things do prevail. Because they happen in moments of, of, of great trial, they happen in great moments of sorrow, and they happen in great moments of joy. I think that we all pick up on these things and we're able to rejoice when we see something good that happens to another person, even if we just disagree with some type of a political position they have I, I think we have it within us to rejoice when something really amazing happens and I think that we feel a certain type of empathy when we see something happen to someone that we disagree with too I mean yeah we may not express that you know through some type of social media post, but I think deep down at our core uh, we're really not different at all. We, we all have the same deep desires for joy, um, and we also understand, you know, we have an empathy within us when we see profound moments of sorrow.
0: I'm going to move us into a little bit different of a conversation based upon something that's a little bit more your personal experience. Uh, it was maybe uh, a little over a, a year ago that you found yourself uh, trying out monastic life. Um, mm-hmm. Just to kind of start off, uh, maybe tell people what is monastic life?
1: Well, I think it's uh, a tradition that's found in, in most uh, religions uh, where there are certain people who feel drawn to go in an interior type of life, meaning that they look at really trying to understand how they can detach the most from, say, the, the movements of the world and try to commune either you say with nature, commune uh, with meditation, um, and also enter into a certain type of regiment where you kind of lose your freedom of your own time. So you, you follow a, a schedule that's given to you by a, a, a community of, of monks. And you see this as a way to try to really work at trying to perfect yourself to not get caught up in trying to hold on to this world uh, for longer than you should. So it's ultimately a tradition that takes very seriously mortality. And knowing that if you really are understand that you're only here for a short amount, short amount of time, you're gonna really focus on the most important things and you're gonna let go of things that seem to kind of give too much uh, weight to this world or too much uh, sense of stability to this world. So that's that's maybe one way to describe how okay. monks live.
0: So in the spirit <laughs> of thanksgiving and gratitude during your time uh kind of at the monastery and kind of learning about mm-hmm. yourself in meditation mm-hmm. and prayer. Right. Is there any like what were the top takeaways, I don't want you to give me just, you know, one, two or three, whatever you need to give, what were the top takeaways that you had never thought about your own life or human life that in meditation that was profound to you, did you have any profound things of uh, just takeaways that you're like, wow, I'm glad that I took this time away from the bustling city in New York or from getting caught up with phone calls from friends and something that just you became rooted in and saw as a different reality.
1: Well, I think that the thing that my time in the monastery really offered me was to take very seriously where I've, where I've been in my life. I mean, it, you, you are just brought back to moments in time that you haven't even thought about in years. And you start to now start connecting the dots of where what the trajectory of your life has been up to this point. And for me, I took that very seriously, especially over Lent this past year, where I was actually using a a Google spreadsheet to be able to keep track of what I was doing and when I was doing it and who I was doing it with that went back to my time in high school onward. And you know, some may think of like, well, it's really nice you had the time to do that. But to me, it was almost necessary for where I was because I was just really conflicted as to wondering where am I going or what is my purpose? And by looking back, when you start connecting the dots, you start to quickly realize that faith is really not something that's blind. You don't just somehow assent to this idea, oh, well, you know, people have talked about God. Uh, There's this thing called the Bible, and there's these stories, and there's these different religious traditions. So therefore, one must just have faith in God because it's just been around. Uh, That's true, but it's not personal. And for me, how faith became personal is because I saw that this notion of God that I had assented to, at least in my mind, was actually real because of how faithful this God was to me throughout my life, giving me all these different experiences and all these different people I met who carried me through not just dark times, but really fun times as well. I mean, like we are, I think we are meant to have fun in this world too. It's not just simply kind of just, just meditating on our, on our brokenness. So the joys, uh, you know, the sorrows, the hopes, all those things, uh, when you're looking back and I had the time to look back in so many unexpected ways, because like I said, when you're spending that much time away from the hustle and bustle, Things start coming back to your mind and you're like oh wow i didn't think about that or or sometimes it's a little bit like you know i never really fully healed from that one like i never really maybe apologized to how i apologized to or i mean wow I, I really hurt this person and and i don't even know how deep i hurt this person all that stuff comes out and you can feel very guilty too you can you can really wallow in that but once again you detach from it too you're thinking well despite all my weaknesses somehow i got through them and somehow i was offered by god i believe uh new possibilities that kept on pushing me further along in life and allowing me to become uh more myself uh and you know even more specifically i think we've talked about this too in other contexts i mean uh, just thinking about as as a catholic priest i mean the weight and the effect of say something like the the sexual abuse scandal I mean, that really came to the forefront in my time as well, realizing like, wow, so much of my frustration as a priest has come from that, that scandal. And it's affected what I understand uh, about how I'm supposed to live as a priest and what, how I'm supposed to be as a priest. Because it'd be easy to just say, well, you know, it's just, it's just all, it's all just corrupt. It's all horrible. I'm just going to say I'm out of here. But I knew that there was something more going on there, but I had to rec- reconcile the fact that, yeah, this is a problem, and it's a problem for me personally, not just not just a horrible scar on the whole church, but like it has affected me big time. So coming to terms with that kind of stuff, I think, is, was some of the most profound moments for me uh, exploring monasteries.
0: And I think that so many of us, we get caught into our nine to five. And I I talked about this on today's show. We get caught into the nine to five. We forget that we woke up and that's a miracle in and of itself. Uh, We get caught into what's happening tomorrow, our future. We start going well my future plans and we forget to be in the present. And we also forget to be thankful for all the people in our past. Like when I say that I spend a lot of time meditating on my past and the thankfulness of relationships like yourself and so many other people that help form me into who I am. I I, I truly mean that. I, I I think I used to live in the past. And at this point, I've converted from living in the past to healing from my past, if that makes yeah. any type of sense.
1: Yeah, big time.
0: Um, So maybe, maybe after this uh, break, why don't we talk about the common traps that you've seen people fall into that keep them from reaching their full potential, keep them living in the past, keep them saying there will be tomorrow rather than being in the present and living in the joy of the present day and the life that they have. So we'll talk about that just on the other side, you're all listening to America emboldened with Craig Bolden on the America out loud network.
2: Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill, it's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. loud.
0: Welcome back, Bold Americans. We are continuing our conversation right now with John Gribb, which it's been a, a lovely conversation, catching up with my good friend here. Uh, really, just kind of getting to hear uh, his perspective on the brokenness of the world and how we're all called to find joy. Now, right before the break, John, I kind of was riffing off what you just said about how people are so busy, right? We're busy bodies, we're, we're busy with technology, busy with our phones you're spending time in the classroom again now as a teacher you probably Mm -hmm. see how busy students get to not even absorb the content um what are the main things that you notice that people are distracted by in society right now
1: well trying to be everywhere except where they are (laughs) In in a nutshell i mean like uh technology has this amazing ability for us to kind of check out from where we are and go into a different world wherever the world that might be wherever and and not just a a particular world but multiple worlds i mean layers of worlds i mean it's just so quick to to be like just wanting to change the station to something else Uh, you know i think that you know we have to come to terms with uh, our our minds are are pretty uh, amazing things because they can take us out of the present moment so easily i mean we can think about the past and we can regret 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 and then we can start thinking about the future and we start having anxiety 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 um yet the only moment that is actually real is the present moment the past is done the real the, the future isn't here yet and yeah we have to have this awareness of where we came from and some type of understanding of where we're going but where that all actually happens is in the present moment it doesn't happen by really just thinking about things that like the good old days or really just kind of wallowing in our mistakes and it definitely doesn't come from just trying to think about all these different scenarios that could possibly happen in the, pre- in the future that makes us so anxious. So what's that say about the present moment? Well, I mean, we even take the present moment and say, well, I'm going to use this moment to try to uh, escape what's around me and go into my phone. All right. So it's like we're doing everything possible to not actually just be okay with what is in front of us. So, it's like I either can just wall about the past, be anxious about the future, escape the present by just going into my device, and you know once again, we have the capability of doing all those things, so clearly they're not it's not as if we we shouldn't do them, but how do we kind of straddle that with what's in front of us? You know, is there a moment to think about the past is there a moment to really plan for the future is there a moment for us to actually look at our device well that can only happen if we're really fully aware of what's happening with us in the present moment if i'm really looking at my surroundings say is this a time for me to go on my phone or is this a time for me to talk to the person next to me or for me to just notice uh (laughs) the the environment around me the, the whatever it's something beautiful or whether it's something really disturbing I mean uh, all of us you know in every moment need to be constantly present to our surroundings so we know how to use that moment in time it doesn't mean that uh you know CS Lewis said it well like there's never one note on the piano that works for every single song it all depends on the sheet music on top of it, the piano, to know exactly when to press the notes. Uh, but only if your presence of the sheet music can you know what to do. And I think that the, the sheet music is the present moment. Like this is what, this is the score that we're looking at right now around us. Uh, so how do I respond to the score uh, with the, the, the actual things that make up me, with, with the ability to play what has been given to me through the different keys that I've been given. And, and I, I, that, I think that's, that's, that's it's very difficult because I think we, we just constantly say, well, I don't need the score. I have the one note that works all the time and that's my device. Or I have the one note that works all the time and that's just me always walling about my past. or I have the one note that is how, how I define my life because I'm always anxious about the future. So we just keep on going in the one note uh, when it's like, well, you know, the present moment is gonna give us the ability to know what note to press when. Hmm.
0: You know, it, it, when many people go out to dinner now, uh, I look around the restaurant and I see people's faces glowing with the uh, beautiful hue of fifty-six hundred degrees Kelvin of their cell phone. <laughs> um, you know, I, my, you know, John, you were you were in our wedding. You were one of my groomsmen, and Melanie and I, we, for my listeners, we were married uh, on Valentine's Day. And so we'll go out on valentine's day now and we'll watch as the couples have their phones out Mm -hmm. and it makes me really uh sad to know that we have lost our ability to be present to a false reality um you know i i I even relate this i like video games um some of my my listeners can learn about me today Uh, i enjoy a good video game but i often think to myself If I put 17 hours into a video game, that's 17 hours. I didn't put into myself, Uh, not directly into myself. Sure. I might've gotten joy and entertainment out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the end, none of us are going to be thankful for those 17 hours on a video game, those seven hours a day on a cell phone. We're going to, uh, yearn for more moments with friends, with family, with loved ones. And yet here in our society, uh, we seem to be ungrateful of what's our present and what our reality is right in front of us. What's the best way to combat that? Is there a way to be mindful?
1: Yeah, I I think that the thing that's really moved the needle in my own life is you have to enter into a practice. Um, I just don't think that things happen overnight nor that it just happen in our mind. I mean, the mind, once again, is a beautiful thing because we know what's good for us. <laughs> we can read statistics and the research, and we will be like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that because all this research proves it. But just because I know that doesn't mean it's going to change my action. For me, I had to take the the intention to, to take 20 minutes every morning to enter into deep meditation. And when I when I say that, I'm saying like I'm in a position where I'm on my yoga mat and I'm entering into a a time where I'm completely not, there's no agenda, there's no um, sense of, of anything other than just focusing on my breath, trying to work through a mantra and just being able to enter into those 20 minutes where as the thoughts come and they will come, that I just let go of each thought I mean, I think people are intimidated by meditation because they're like, well, I could never get my mind that quiet. That's not the point. The point is not to get your mind quiet. Um, it's It's to constantly be able to allow yourself to not let the thoughts in your mind get the best of you, you know, to not make them be the end all be all to who you are. I mean, once again, if we talk about God, I mean, Let's let's just look at it this way. If God is all and knows all, He knows that we're thinking stuff. <laughs> He's <laughs> allowing us to think stuff. So it's not as if somehow we're, you know, that we should be embarrassed or somehow uh, ashamed that we're thinking. Uh, it's but it's an opportunity to realize like the, the thoughts that come into our mind. We do have an ability to, you know, uh, to to not allow them to overwhelm us or to take us out of uh, what else is in front of us at that time. So it's a practice that is constantly, uh, moving you to detach from the things that are the noisy things in your life, which are your thoughts. And if that's happening for 20 minutes where you're detaching, when it comes to everything else, that's noisy in the world, you start to have a a certain type of, um, ability to detach far easier. Um, where it's like, oh, yeah, I really just don't need to check my EMO right now. Or, you know, it's I don't really need to kind of dwell on that right now. Or I don't have to really worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. So it's just this constant practice of detachment, detachment, detachment. Because it's realizing that I'm allowing my ego to get the better me when I start thinking that my thoughts are really my thoughts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I even believe that our thoughts are just really the byproduct of our experiences. And how much are we allowing our experiences to define us? And how much are we allowing our experiences to think, to, to be uh, our, our own type of creation? I mean, it's all participation. I always say that life is about participation, not not orchestration. So the stuff going in our mind are not things that we're orchestrating. They're just... We're just, is there just stuff that we're participating in? And if we can allow ourselves to just say, yes, I'm simply a participant. This does not define me. This is not all about me. I'm not orchestrating my life through these thoughts. Uh, it just makes the rest of the day a little bit easier to, to manage. But it, it takes time, right? And I mean, some people say, well, 20 minutes is too long. OK, well, then start with two minutes. I mean, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight for me. Uh, and I'm not there yet. I, I can't even say that all, all these 20-minute meditations are high quality. I, you know, I, I don't know what's really going on during during these 20 minutes. But like just showing up, didn't Woody Allen say that? Isn't like showing up like 90% of life or something like that? Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like th- that's basically what it's about. Like can you just show up? Um, and, and I think that even if you commit to one minute, two minutes, that is – you are giving – a good enough opening to reorder, to reorder your life yeah. by just one minute, one intentional e- moment.
0: Ego sum, ego existo, right? That's right. I am, I exist. I mean, <laughs> it's the, the beginning of philosophical thought. Uh, I think, therefore I am. Um, you know, some good, good moments of clarity. You know, but that is, the, that's where we find ourselves right now, John, we find ourselves in a world that doesn't pause We're in a fast paced world. It's getting faster. Uh, I often wonder if it's because uh, as we get older, there's less new experience. It feels like it's faster um, or if it really is.
1: Well, I mean a little bit. By the way, I don't know if I fully agree with I think therefore I am actually. I think I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> I'm saying that my thoughts really aren't that important. So I'm I'm more than than my thoughts. But anyway, I, I get well, what you're saying. But no, I was um, saying but,
0: no, I was I was saying but, it's the, I, I think therefore I am is actually from the first part of philosophy. It's just acknowledging Descartes. existence, right? Yeah, Descartes. It's just yeah, acknowledging but, that we exist and well well, hold on. I mean, if we're talking about the presence of now, mm-hmm. if we're talking about being there. First, got to acknowledge that you exist. I see a bunch of zombies that don't understand that they exist. I see people going into a metaverse, Mm -hmm. putting on VR goggles to escape life. That's not existing. right? So, I I mean, I, I get where you're on a completely different spot from that thought process, but I think it's important to point out that half the problem is people questioning the reality of their own existence and whether it matters and what the meaning is. And I think that that's important to point out
1: yeah i just think that that can be interpreted meaning that my okay. meaning only ha- my my life only has meaning because i think it into existence so to speak I, I, okay you, i see what you know, you're and saying and like and that's not really that 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 would be there'd be some issues with that but i don't feel like going down that path but anyway no no
0: yeah we're not here for know. philosophy today we're here for thankfulness <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> oh man you know uh john part of the the doing this show. That's been fun, uh, over the past, uh, I think we're on episode 95 today or 96. Um, which is crazy that so many episodes have gone by so fast, but my listeners don't really get an opportunity to know me except for when I drop like little nuggets and Mm -hmm. I don't let my sense of humor really fly on my show too often. Um, you have a lot of stories that you could share of joy and thankfulness of me. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I will for my <laughs> listening. Is there a, any type of stories that you would like to share um, about me and something that you're thankful for me being in your life or just a funny
1: story? Well, there's, there, well, there's a lot actually I could, I could go at, but, but I'll just start with, with the time where I just knew I was always going to, to love you, Greg was when <laughs> we were playing in the band pocket change and you would take yourself so seriously with some of those songs. And the one time where I forget, I forget what song it was and you're just like, throw down like the the uh, music stand with all the sheets of paper flying everywhere and this over dramatic presentation of probably like some type of a U2 song or something like that or whatever it was. And it was just so melodramatic. And I was like, you know, I absolutely love this guy. I mean, like it's just it's so over the top. I love it. <laughs> But, you know, you know. actually, I think the thing that's that, that has brought me the most joy, Greg, is actually watching you grow up and watching myself grow up, too. I mean, like, <laughs> I think, I mean, it's like, we're still like little kids, you know, I mean, we really are in so many ways. Um, but like, you know, to see you become a father and also like take, take that so seriously, it's such a beautiful thing to see. To, I mean, to see how you, you know, I talk about how, okay, you know, we're all trying to plan this perfect world, but like. you you do it not in a way that's pretentious but in a way that's kind of just fun it's like you just really value life and you want it to be fun but it's that doesn't make your that doesn't make you like uh not serious though it just makes you realize like hey you know we're not meant to be living in this world and, and and just constantly in a place of despair but realizing there's tremendous gifts and so you're a person who's very thankful for the gifts that you have and the material gifts that you have are, are solely uh, a way to respond to uh the gifts that i know that you value the most which is family and friends and uh and i just i just appreciate you for uh making me part of your family i mean this this is the thing i look about in my life i just have so many different families and i definitely feel that way with you. And I know that because when we don't talk for a while, it's just when we do talk, it's right back into it. I know that if there's anything that I'm ever in a jam for, I would call you up in a minute, which I have this year, multiple times <laughs> <laughs> telling you like, Greg, my life sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, I, and
0: I I say, yeah, it does sound like it sucks. <laughs> <out of> it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's been, it's been an amazing source of grace. So uh, you're a tremendous friend because I think that you just really, uh, you're not concerned about judging. You're more concerned about getting to where the truth is in the matter. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's maybe why even the show that you have is kind of, uh, you know, attractive. Cause I think you're trying to find not what is the truth in a, in a particular controversy, but to understand what is uh, the truth about how we're meant to live our life and to, to live it in a way that's joyful and, and you model it well.
0: I appreciate it. I, I'm searching for what is the truth in the experience and I don't always get it right. And you would be the first person to know that I don't always get it right, right. <laughs> uh, but I'm willing to okay. adapt and change as I learn. And make sure that I tell people, hey, I got that wrong, but here's my new understanding now. And I think that, you know, I'm thankful that that's my mindset. I'm thankful that I can adjust that. Uh, I'm thankful to bring you to my listeners only because, uh, you know, not just because you're a loved friend, uh, but because something that my listeners hopefully kind of picked up on a little bit. There's a larger reason why I invited John as a guest today. Um, John's brilliant. And he wouldn't never tell you that he's brilliant, Um, but he is in his own way. He's he's always been wise beyond his years. Uh, John, you got multiple degrees, right? You got an art art history degree, right? Um, That's one of your degrees, theology. Uh, What's some of the things that you've been studying? Uh, you're all over the place.
1: I mean, when, when are you going to um,
0: become a brain surgeon?
1: <laughs> well, I very interestingly did get an MBA from uh, UC Berkeley, which was so unexpected. But uh, once again, I'm not really saying that to brag about getting a uh, no. degree, but actually it opened my my world to a whole new set of friends and situations. And it's kind of really what landed me where I am right now. And <laughs> I could not be more happier. I mean, so... Um, kind of be more happy, I should say. <laughs> uh, I, so I, I can't. I, I just have to say, like uh, all those degrees. Okay, yeah, I guess they've given me some type of intellectual uh, way of looking at things. But the relationships that come with those those experiences have met the world to me. But the thing I also say too is that you know, the more you learn, you, the more you come to awareness. Like, God, I really don't know that much at all. I mean, it's just right because you're, you're constantly around people who I feel know more than me, but also it's just that, oh, I, now I just read this book, but this book is essentially wants me to read these 47 other books that they're, that it references. I'm thinking, God, there's just, like, it never ends. I mean, and I think that that's a, a helpful thing because it helps you to, to really grow in humility. Like, we have just, each of us just scratches a fraction of what we can know about this world and how, how other people and how we should act and how other people should act. I mean, we just know a fraction. And I think that education, when it's done well, takes you to a place of humility. It doesn't take you to a place of elitism or thinking that somehow that, oh, now you have all the tools to win the argument. I don't, I just don't think it's about winning the argument. I think it's about really uh, being uh, enlightened by something you don't know from the person who you happen to be... Uh, discussing something with um so that's been the great joy for me through all that
0: yeah my joke about john is there's never been a master's degree he he didn't want to take
1: <laughs> i know honestly I'm, <laughs> I, I was i was thinking about taking something out here in san francisco in See? san francisco i was like i can't believe i'm st- i want to go back to school what the hell's wrong with me <laughs> but
0: <laughs> well it's it's one of the reasons why we all love you, john. you But you by, are, by the way greg i just yes. want to
1: say i'm disappointed that we haven't spent a a moment on the show talking about Bob Dylan i just don't know what's going on here anymore oh, like I, it's like i don't even know you anymore <laughs>
0: You know, I haven't covered any Bob Dylan on my show uh, in 95 95 episodes.
1: Well, uh, all I know is, uh, you know, since it's the spirit of Thanksgiving, I am extremely thankful for great news that happened in the world of Dylan the last couple of days. I don't know if you even know about it yet. Uh, But an album that I know that you respect uh, uh, profoundly is Time Out of Mind. Time
0: Out of Mind. Great album.
1: And we just found out that all the outtakes are coming out on a bootleg series. And he's and Dylan himself, or I, or at least his people, are remixing the album to the way it originally sounded in the room before Daniel Lanois produced wow. it. So I so- I was just really excited. I'm like, wow, okay, this has made my year. Yeah,
0: so for those that don't know, what's that? Twenty five years ago about that? 20, yeah, up? it's
1: a twenty fifth anniversary of the album. Yeah, it's a, that's so all time. this stuff is coming out. I mean. I, you know, this is the thing about you and me, Greg. I mean, like uh, the love of music. It, once again, I think music is proof that there is just something far beyond uh, ourselves that make up this world. And uh, the very fact that we can do music and tap into that takes us to places um, that take us take our time out of mind. Takes time out of mind. You know, and actually, of... in some ways, <laughs> it makes us more present in the moment than we than we. It okay. does. I
0: mean, music is the great equalizer for me, as far as taking away any of my anxiety, any depressive thoughts. If I put a guitar in my hand, I start singing a song. I feel great. Um, and probably the one of the nicest birthday gifts I've ever given anybody is the birthday gift that I gave you your 40th birthday gift. I still think is probably one of the coolest gifts that I've ever given somebody. And for those that don't know, uh, John had a tradition when he was teaching high school years ago, and even when we played music together, of always wanting to sing, ah, bye bye, Miss America, bye.
1: <laughs> right? You always want <laughs> yes. to sing
0: that song. And yes. so I turned it into a parody for your 40th birthday, uh, for everybody. Um, well, not for everybody, for you, but, (laughs) but I, I, we're going to play it now. Just kidding. (laughs) I won't do that to you. Um, Maybe I'll cue it up in the background right here. (laughs) Um, but no, it's, uh, you know, but it just kind of chronicled your life in what I knew and experiences. And isn't that the awesome part about music? It, It can take us to a moment. It can take us to an experience. Uh and so yeah, I'm thankful that we got to do music. I'm thankful right in front of me. I have guitars on my wall from when you went into the monastery and you're yeah. like, here, take these guitars. And I'm like, all right, I'll add it to all the other guitars.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been so. it's been it's been a fun ride, Greg. And it's it's not over. That's that's the most amazing thing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it goes on for a little bit more. I'm hoping to get a couple yep. more miles out of this ride. Uh that's the totally. goal. You know, totally. maybe get, maybe get back to that cornfield and, uh, rip a transmission out, uh, going through a cornfield at uh, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. We'll leave that story. For
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: John, I do want to have you back on the show here Great. in the future. Um, I'd love to talk to you about a topic that you and I discussed about what makes somebody an expert right now in culture. Is there such thing as an expert? And if everybody's an expert, is anybody an expert? Right. <laughs> right. So I'm going to have you yeah. back on the show. We'll we'll discuss that in, in the future in the coming weeks here. Awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll make some time. But uh, I like appreciate fun. you. I, I hope that you have a happy Thanksgiving out there in California. And um, I hope that you have lots of blessings here in the coming holidays. And uh, thank you for making some time to offer some perspectives for my listeners. It's much Thanks appreciated. So much,
1: happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend.
0: Thank you, John. All right, everybody, that has been our Attitude of Gratitude with John Gerber, I hope that uh, you know we honored your time well today. Uh, the conversation I felt was very fruitful, um, and uh, hopefully you have some takeaways, something to kind of help you. As I said, this week, we're not focused on any p- politics. We're simply focused on how do we live as better human beings, because I think that makes the whole world a little bit safer, nicer, better, and that's a good thing. Everyone, you've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.